Hi everyone, you're listening to the Multifamily Artist Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Koo, and this is the show where I interview investors to find out how they found their rhythm and created their own sound investments. Enjoy the show. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Multifamily Artist Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Koo, and this is the show where I interview multifamily real estate investors and discuss how they found their rhythm and created their own sound investments. Before we hop into today's show, I want to remind you of today's sponsor. This show is brought to you by PassiveInvesting.com. PassiveInvesting.com is a private equity real estate investment firm focused on institutional quality, multifamily and self-storage assets in the hottest markets in the United States. PassiveInvesting.com partners with their investors to provide opportunities to build wealth together by delivering consistent monthly cash flow, capital appreciation, and strong tax benefits. They currently have 1,700 plus passive investors with a 65% repeat investor rate. If you're interested in learning more, head over to PassiveInvesting.com or click the link in the show notes. You can get more information on investment opportunities, educational webinars, or insightful articles. Reach out and see how they can help you build wealth through real estate and enjoy the show. Now for today's guest, we are bringing him back. He is the Chief Operating Officer of Broadwell Property Group, a multifamily investment firm based in Atlanta, Georgia. He has been one of the most sought-after coaches, speakers, and mentors in the multifamily industry to hundreds of students who have gone on to close millions of dollars in their own deals, many crediting him with their success. He's a regular contributor to the Jake and Gino community and actually serves as one of the master coaches. He recently received... Uh, released one of my favorite real estate books of all time, Creative Cash, where he talks about the strategies he used in acquiring his first 402 units without receiving a single loan from a traditional lender to buy the deals. Now he is releasing his second book with Jake and Gino called Real Estate Raw, which is a step-by-step instruction manual to building a real estate portfolio from start to finish. This book is not about why. This book is about how. Please welcome the famous Bill Ham. Hey, thanks, Taylor. I appreciate it, man. That was a a great introduction. I mean, like, write that down. That was perfect. Thank you. Of course. I can can definitely send it to you after. I know, right? I need to, like, hire you. Just go on the road with me. Oh, I got you. Oh, that'd be so much fun. Of course, of course. You know, honestly, I was was surprised because last time it took seven years for the first book, and then... You know, I'm glad that I didn't have to wait another seven years for this next book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they uh, they go together, sort of. You know, they they're a combined pair. You know, we, we can talk about that. But yeah, uh, I think you probably will have to wait a few years for the third book. So ah. it may be done for a minute. Yeah, two is good for right now. Kind of a full brain dump. I feel like I've gotten most of it out. Uh, you know, it's the, it's the collection. It's everything you need to get started in, in the finance real estate. So now it's time to uh, just take the show on the road and let the readers have at it. So, you know, I'm curious, then, what was the inspiration behind wanting to write this book uh, so quickly then? You know, I realized that it really wasn't that personally difficult for me to write a book. I know that's kind of maybe a cocky comment, but basically (laughs) I wrote the first book thinking this is going to be a really, really difficult process. And it wasn't that big of a deal. And then I said, well, gosh, if it's not that hard, then maybe I should just keep going with this momentum. And, uh, and I had so much more information and so many more things to share and to write about. There's just no way it was going to fit in one book. And I knew that. And so really, I just kept the momentum of the first book. I had gone through the process. I'd worked with editors. You know, I knew how to do it. 
And so for the second book, I kind of went at it a little uh, more on my own and, and kind of did a lot of it more of myself. The editing, Not the editing, I hired an editor, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I spent more time kind of being involved in it on this side, on the editing process and all. So kind of learned how to write a book and, you know, how to publish a book. And we've put it on Amazon. As a matter of fact, we just hit uh, number one bestseller, I believe, in the real estate category uh, last night nice. on the Kindle version. So it's been a great launch, and I really appreciate everybody, uh, you know, that, that's helped us get there. So yeah, it's turned out to be really good. Oh, congrats, congrats! And so you know, let's yeah, I'd love to just start diving into into you know some sure. of the backgrounds of the book then, and then uh, what this book is going to be going through. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this is so. Here, if anybody's watching, if you're listening, you can't see it, but I'm holding up a copy. This is Real Estate Raw. This is the uh, the new book, and Real Estate Raw is basically a step-by-step guide book to building a portfolio, right? So it's the mechanics of, of how to actually create a real estate business or a real estate portfolio, whatever level you want to take it to. And it starts off very simple. This is this book is essentially, if you were listening to me coach a student for six, seven hours straight. That would be this book. You know, it's like I take you and I I take the reader as if you really know nothing about real estate. And I say, okay, step one, we've got to start with the market, right? You got to be buying real estate somewhere. So let's, let's talk about market. Okay. We get our market selected. All right. Well, now we know where we're buying real estate. It's like, what are we trying to buy? So I show you how to figure out what's the right size for you and for your finance and for your ability. Okay. Now we got to start getting deal flow from the market. We know where, we know what, now, how, you know, let me show you how to start getting deal flow. Then we go into traditional funding, syndicating the different structures and all that kind of stuff. So that that's kind of what Real Estate Raw does is it shows you how to build a business. The first book, Creative Cash, and I almost feel like I wrote them out of order. Creative <laughs> Cash is how to use creative financing to fund all of the techniques in Real Estate Raw. And that's why I say they kind of go in tandem. Uh, Real Estate Raw is how to do it. Creative Cash is how to use creative financing to fund it. Yeah. And, and I feel like with also, uh, you know, at least with like creative cash, the even the concepts in the beginning where you were talking about market cycle, debt and exit strategy, uh, it was a really solid foundation. So I, I almost could have seen it almost like a, a Star Wars, a Star <laughs> Wars series where you started at four and then that, know, that's high praise. Yeah. Come, come back. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. I started with episode four. Now we got to kind of do the prequel. Yeah, exactly. That's a good point. I should kind of use that. Yeah. But that's, uh, that's it. in, in you know, I brought out Creative Cash because I knew of the market cycle that we were about to go into, as you mentioned, uh, you know, market cycles, which I go into in much greater detail in Real Estate Raw, the three pillars of real estate, which are market cycles, debt, and exit strategy, and how to tie all three of those together to get your business model running accurately. But uh, yeah, that's why I brought out Creative Cash, because I knew the market cycle we were going to go into uh, is going to favor creative financing over the next few years as interest rates rise and, you know, deals get a little more difficult to do. You know, now since uh, we are talking about market cycle and you might as well just continue the momentum there, you know, I'd love to know your, at least your take on where the market is going now and and the single family side. And then also just like how that is going to be relative to an effect multifamily and just what we're seeing. Yeah, you know, it's, it's different in single family and in commercial real estate because single family has a lot to do with people that are buying homes to live in. And so the home buyer market drives a lot of the single family market, as well as there's a fair portion of single family that are what we call shadow product or, or rental units that compete with apartments. 
And, and so there's a lot of different factors in the single family. In the commercial side, it's a little more uh, homogenous there. We know we're, we're pretty much buying those for investment. And so the models are a little bit different. But I think all in all, real estate is pretty expensive at the moment. And I think that we are going to kind of go into a cooling off of prices. I do not believe they're going to any kind of crash or 08 or anything like that. But I do believe that, that we're going to slow down a little bit. One of the things that I that I predict, and, and I always tell everybody, if you want to know what's going to happen in the market cycle, just watch the lenders, right? So right now, what happens, we had Fannie and Freddie, and they kind of started to tighten up their criteria a little bit. But we then had a, a bunch of liquidity in the world. The Fed's put out a bunch of stimulus money, and there was just a lot of liquidity in the world. So all of that liquidity jumped into the lending market to sort of replace the, the vacuum that Fannie and Freddie created by tightening up their standards. So that's where we saw all of a sudden a ton of liquidity, a bunch of bridge lenders, a bunch of hard money lenders, a lot of people getting into the lending business. And so that created a lot of liquidity in the market, which allowed the cap rates and the prices to continue to kind of, well, cap rates come down and prices go up. So that's where we saw, but I believe that liquidity, when the Fed started to raise interest rates, which I'm 99.9% they're going to do, sure, they're going to do next year. Uh, then I think you're going to start to see some of that liquidity dry up. And when you do, that's where the the lower level deals, I'm saying lower level as in something that might be distressed. Maybe the occupancy is not great. You know, maybe maybe the deferred maintenance is heavy. We're seeing a lot of that, a lot of older buildings, a lot of deferred maintenance. Those are going to be the deals that start to get a little tougher to finance with traditional lending in that sort of next cooling off cycle. And that's why I brought out creative cash, because you're going to need those techniques to be able to go in and get some of those deals done when you go over to a traditional lender and the traditional lender says, hey, your occupancy is bad and the plumbing's old and the roof's rolled. And then, you know, you just need to spend all this money and then we'll give you a loan. And you're looking at all that going, wait a minute, these numbers don't really work. If I have to buy it for this put all this money into it and it's only collecting this in rent, that those numbers aren't very good. Well, there's not much you can do there, but sort of cool off the price some. And if the seller owes too much, they have a, an underlying amount of debt they can't get out of, that's where creative financing is going to jump in. And that's where you're going to want to use these two books and understand the techniques in here to really capitalize on that market. So that's kind of a long-winded answer where I think we are, <laughs> where I think we're going. Uh, you know, and I explain a lot of that in these two books, but yeah, it's, it's all cycles. It all comes and goes. Our cycles usually run about eight to 10 years for top, top, bottom to bottom, more or less. Got it. And something that at least, um, that has been used pretty frequently from, from what I've seen is, is bridge debt. Do you see a change in, in bridge debt lending as well? I, I do. I, I do. And, and, you know, what we have to kind of understand is in a lot of the bridge loans and a lot of the, uh, family office and stuff like that. They are going to put that liquidity out there and it's going to kind of be deployed. You know, Fannie and Freddie get their budget reset each year. And so that's why they're the mainstay of lending. And so what you will find at Community Bank, and I'm going to kind of now lump all of the non-agency debt more or less into community debt. <clears throat> now, that's not accurate. We understand they're private money lenders and home office and all that. But right. that's sort of a community type debt, banks and things like that. What they will do is they will lend a, a lot of money to a certain category, business, cars, real estate, whatever the case. And then all of a sudden they say, wait a second, our balance sheets are overweighted to that asset class. And all of a sudden they don't have as much appetite for that type of loan anymore. So if these community banks have a run on lending in, in real estate, you can expect a cycle. Everything cycles up and down. So if we see a, a run of real estate lending this year, 
you, over the next year or two, you may see less real estate lending as those balance sheet lenders kind of stack the, the deck with real estate. And then they kind of look up and go, oh, gosh, we're a little overexposed to real estate. Great. Let's do more business loans. Let's do more you know, other type of lending. That's where you'll see the debt shift. So at the moment, Fannie and Freddie already kind of, I believe, tried to cool the real estate market off by lowering their loan to value. Anybody knows that if you're trying to get a Fannie and Freddie loan, and I'm talking about a larger commercial stuff right now, in a lot of your top tier markets, their loan to value is not attractive to 60%, 65%. That's just difficult. So that's where we see all the bridge debt stepping in to kind of fill the void. But I don't think that will last. And that's where I think we're ultimately going to have a cooling off when a lot of that liquidity starts to dry up. And that's where you'll want these other techniques. If you're in a, an asset you need to get out of, uh, you know, loans coming due, something like that, you might want to use some creativity there. And I suggest if you're a buyer, start looking for sellers that have loans coming due in the next 24 months, 18 to 24 months. That's going to be a good group of people that may be trying to exit a deal in a less friendly environment. You know, interest rates have gone up. Maybe their loans come and due if they didn't perform as well as they had expected on the asset. That may become a motivated seller. And that's as buyers, what we're always looking for is a motivated seller. Yeah. And that's actually what happened with this most previous deal that uh, I'm actually GP on. This is like my first yeah, one. Yeah. That I went under contract on is uh, the seller got into pretty expensive bridge debt and they their term was coming up and, sl- and COVID slowed down their business plan. And so yep. they were motivated to sell. And that's where we yep. were able to yep. get in with a discount. Yeah. The term is called maturity exposure. Maturity and I believe exposure. there is a lot of maturity exposure in the real estate market today. And what that means is that there are a lot of loans that people that are going to come due very soon. And a lot of people, as you've noted, have gone out and gone, done one of two things They've either gone out and gotten short-term bridge debt, two, three-year interest-only type loan. That loan is now about to come due, or they went out and got a longer-term Fannie or Freddie loan with two years interest-only, and those two years have burned off. And now their loan is converting from interest-only into a fully amortized loan, and now their payment just went up a whole lot which has a similar financial effect as that loan coming due. In both scenarios, either your interest rate window has burned off and now you're paying a lot more, or your loan is is coming due mature. Both create maturity exposure in the market. And that just means a lot of loans that are going to need to be paid off soon or either have gone into a fully amortizing uh, stage and their debt service, their payment each month went way up. And if they haven't raised or cash flowed, you know, raised their rent or cash flowed as heavily as, as they liked, maybe all of a sudden the business model doesn't make as much sense anymore. And so that's what I'm talking about, maturity exposure. And I think there's a lot of that over the next 24 months with a heavy focus on the latter nine months. So I'm saying within a year, you're going to start to see some, you're going to see exactly what I'm talking about. You're going to start to see the maturity exposure maturity exposure ahead. It's going to be uncomfortable for some sellers, and it's going to be a really great opportunity for some buyers. That's just how the world works. So now leveraging real estate raw, and let's say you are somebody new jumping into this space, I'd love to just know at least your thoughts on a newbie coming into this space, just because I, I mean, there's a lot of information flying back and forth, and yeah. it could it could most definitely be daunting. So sure. you know, with um, yeah. Do you think it's okay for somebody new to jump into this? My, my opinion oh. is if you're brand new to real estate, 
completely ignore everything I just said. <laughs> no offense to Taylor and his podcast here, but I would say you're brand new real estate. Just go ahead and turn me off right now and just ignore everything I just told you. It's technically irrelevant. Just get started. Just get started. Don't worry about it. Don't let people like me get in your head. Don't let all this white noise get in your head. Don't overthink the situation. Don't, you know, you cannot sit in the driveway and wait for all the lights to turn green before you back out. These are all irrelevant concepts. If you are new to real estate, just get started. All you need to know how to do is to analyze the deal. If you're new to real estate, you need to learn how to choose a market. You need to learn what is a good deal. And you need to go out and look at them. And when you find one, buy it. That's it. You know what I mean? It's like all this other stuff is just, it's layers. It's, it's details. It's techniques. It's, you can, you, you know, you can really get your house, your, your head spun up in this stuff. And that's why I wrote real estate raw in a very straightforward and simple manner to help people answer that question right there. Is real estate right for me? Should I get in? You know, is now the right time? And my, that book answers all those questions. And the answer is yes. There's, there's the only better time to get into real estate was yesterday. Right. You know, and so just get started. By the way, most students won't close their first deal for about a year, maybe 18 months. And so what I tell people is the market that you're in right, right now might not be the market you're in when you actually start closing deals and getting your portfolio going when it will actually be applicable to you. So again, you you can't wait for the world to be perfect and then say, okay, now I'm going to get in. No, you'll always be out of cycle if you're trying to time the cycle. Just get started. Just get started. Just do it. Wait, I don't think I can say that. That's probably copyright. No, <laughs> Just get started. Don't say that. <laughs> no, you know, we can take on Nike. I think they're we'll take on Nike. Yeah, yeah. Seriously, right? Yeah, they're not yeah really, Nike. literally. You know, like Nike. Just do it. Just get started. Yeah. Don't don't Just, overthink all this stuff. Yeah. So you know, with I guess um you know, because I'd love to just dive into the market and, and more about sure. the details of the book then and just some, some of the steps. So first one you mentioned was analyzing market. What do you yeah. usually look for when when you are analyzing the market and what makes sense to you? Do I live there or not? That would probably be the first comment I would make. So I, I, I think a better way to answer that question would be kind of what I ex- describe in the book. So what I recommend people do, not so much of what I do, because I might be at a different level, what I recommend people do is to imagine your house on a map, all right? And we're going to follow the only metric that matters for choosing a market, deal flow. Everybody likes to run around and talk about, you know, job growth and population growth. Where's everybody in the rent and the landlord friendly and all this stuff. Those are great concepts. They are. But they're, again, they're irrelevant to some larger concepts, which is Find a deal. Just look at some deals. You know, you you can pick markets all over creation. And if you're not actually looking at deals, then all of that stuff we're talking about is, again, irrelevant. You've got to know what the basics are and you got to start with the basics. So the basics, analyze three deals a week. There's how you choose a market. We're going to analyze three deals a week. All right. Now, with that concept, imagine your house on the map. And what you want to do is draw a circle around your house. And you're going to draw a circle on that map around your house, bigger and bigger and bigger, until inside that circle, you are finding three to maybe five deals a week to analyze. There's your market, right? So don't worry about uh, job growth, population, all this kind of stuff. No, because what you're going to wind up doing is bouncing around the country, trying to go from market to market. Because, you know, this person said, oh, this market was the new shiny thing. And you run over there or this market here, or that market there. 
And you're not going to build relationships in those markets. And what you're going to wind up doing is, is hopscotching around and jumping over viable territory. So my method of saying, pick your house, draw a circle around your house and draw the circle bigger and bigger is to help you cut down the cost and the expense of learning. So keep your tuition low. So if, if you start in your own neighborhood, can you find three deals week number one inside of a small circle? Probably. Can you find three deals every week inside that little circle? Probably not. So, you know, week number two, week number five, week number 10. Yeah, you're drawing the circle a little bit bigger and bigger. The idea is you're going to, you're not really going to choose a market that is a city. You're going to choose a market that is an area. And that's a mistake I think a lot of people make when they come on. They, they correlate the concept of city and market. And I'm saying, no, today with the, with the amount of deal flow in the market, you may be covering several cities, maybe an area. So again, that's why I say start at home, draw the circle, and you just keep drawing it bigger and bigger until in that area, you're getting three to five deals analyzed every week. And there's your market, there's your territory. It will ultimately become sort of a, an amoeba shape, right? It's not really going to be a circle because you're going to kind of say, well, I do like this area, but not that area. Yes, this area, no, that area, you know, and it, that's how you can pick an area or a market linearly, keeping the cost down. Uh, keeping your travel time down, you know, and and then practice in that area. Once you get better, then someday you can start traveling and go to these distant markets. But if you have to get off a plane to learn how to do real estate, you're not likely to do it very often. And and it's all about repetition. And and the cheaper and easier your repetitions are, the more likely you'll do them. If your repetitions to go look at a deal, to analyze a deal, to talk to a realtor involve plane flights, that's a hard rep to do. You see what I'm saying? That's just tough. That's why I say don't do that. You know, actually, I, I really love that approach because I remember when I, at least when I was getting started, everyone was trying to find almost like this perfect market right. where it's like, oh, this like this subsection of the of the neighborhood has the most up and coming development since their median income is behind the rest of them. And, right. and but and with your approach, it seems like you're really just starting small, understanding just where this is, and then it's slowly expanding out and figuring right. out what you like and don't. Don't right. Like and, and learn because why, you know, we start off in real estate learning how to do a property tour, learning how to meet a realtor, learning how to talk to a seller. It's all learning. So why travel a thousand miles just to learn how to do something that you could learn how to do at home? Even if you're in a market that you don't really care to buy real estate in, so what? You can still practice. You can still look at deals. You can still talk to realtors. You can still do all those things in that market and get your skill set down and then when you travel to the real market, the good market, you're well-practiced. You know, that, that's what I would recommend. And if you're even uncomfortable calling realtors or looking at deals, pick a makeup, make up a market. Pick one that you don't want to buy anything <laughs> at all and go call those realtors. You can see all the dumb stuff you want. It doesn't matter. You can practice, screw up, and then fall back to your real market when you're done with your practice market. So that's something I help out when, when some, some, some people getting started are a little intimidated. So if you're a little nervous about getting started with some of this stuff, then pick an area you don't care anything about. There you go. Just tip. <laughs> yeah. Well, something's uh, well going to like a different market and uh, just like having that as like a practice market. I would always feel so bad because like I knew that you're wasting people's time. time. Yeah, you're wasting people's time, and so I just feel terrible. Well, let me put it like this. And, and a lot yeah. of people say that you might be wasting a seller's time if you're contacting sellers directly, but you're not necessarily wasting a realtor's time. Right. Not at that level. So the way that works with realtors, because I get this comment all the time, a realtor, when they get a listing, they're going to send out, you know, 10,000 emails and the 10,000 emails are going to turn into 
100 confidentiality agreements signed on their website, which turns into 30 property tours, which turns into 10 offers, which turns into three highest and best, which turns into one sale. It's a funnel. So as you're going out and you're touring properties and you're looking at deals and things like you're just operating in the realtor's upper level of their funnel and they need that. They need to show those properties. They need to do property tours. They need LOIs. They need to show the seller, we're doing a good job in exposing your property to a lot of the market. You're not wasting a realtor's time until you start making offers that are not real. That I would not recommend. So don't start making offers that you're not going to close that are BS offers. So yeah, that's going to waste the realtor's time. That will get you in trouble. Don't go to that level. But just touring a property, meeting realtors, that's all part of the game. They expect a certain amount. You know, people feel like they go look at a property, they're obligated to buy it or make an offer. And it's like, no, 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 that's not true at all. Again, don't start making offers. Be serious at that level, but up to an offer. You're just in the funnel. Now, this may be a silly question because it almost seems like you're building a relationship, but also it's like a very one-sided relationship because like they think you're going to be buying or they're hoping they're hoping that you would get end up buying or putting in an offer. Whereas like for me, like I'm, I would just be practicing yeah. now. Uh, is it, I guess, acceptable where like you just kind of cut it off and, and not respond to them anymore? Well, you, you, you can always respond and just say you're not interested. I'm just not interested. Yeah. 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 That's what yeah, I do. Okay. Cause I, I'll go to a property. Not going to ghost though. Yeah, then you'll come back and say, all right, so let me go to that next level. And I really covered this a lot in the working with realtors section in the Real Estate Raw book. But I'll give you a tip in there. So what I typically do is I'll go back to the realtor and get permission to make a lower offer. So if I go out into a property and for some reason, whatever reason, I was just practicing, I don't like it, you know, whatever the case, then when it comes time to for the realtor to collect offers, usually a call for offers date, I may sit down with the realtor and say, listen, you know, I appreciate it, looked at the property. My number, my offer price is kind of coming in a little low. You know, I know you wanted, uh, you know, $2 million for the property. I'm really at like 1.2 million. And that's pretty low from the stuff. Here's, here's kind of how I came up with that number. Should I offer this or not? And there's, there it is right there. Huh. Ask permission to make to a offer. low offer. Yes. Do, because once you submit an offer to a realtor, the realtor has a fiduciary responsibility to turn that offer into the seller but they have no fiduciary responsibility to recommend the offer. So they can go turn out your offer in and go, Hey, here's Taylor's offer. It's a horrible offer, but here you go. You know, you don't need that. Number one, number two, making a realtor submit low offers can make the realtor look bad to their client. And that's what you don't want to do. So that's why I say you don't really want to go just forcing low or, or wild offers onto these realtors because that can make them look bad. So that's why I say out of respect for the realtor, I sit down and say, okay, here's where I'm at. Here's what I'm thinking. You tell me, go or no go. I'm, I'll do whatever. You know, I'm looking at 10 other deals. So if you want an offer, I'll offer. If you don't, fine. I'm looking at 10 other deals. 80% of the time, the realtor will say, yeah, go ahead and submit the offer. You know, hey, let's say hey, if that's your offer, go ahead and submit it. Not a problem. Every now and then they'll say, hey, look, we already got five other offers at a full asking price. Don't worry about it. Thank you for playing. But whatever the case, you're you're giving the realtor the opportunity to wave you off if they're not comfortable with that offer. So that's my tip for, for making, I will say an offer that's anywhere probably less than 15% lower than the asking price. You probably want to sit down with the realtor. You know, you're hitting 20, 25% lower than the asking price. That's a low <laughs> offer. You know, just go talk to the realtor. About it. If you yeah. care anything about the realtor, you know, if you're just running around shotgun offers all over creation, then go ahead. But, you know, if you want to have a relationship with that realtor and you respect that relationship, 
bring them on board with the creation of the offer. Yeah. And I, I can't imagine the shooting a bunch of different offers. At, Some people you know, do. I don't recommend it. I'm yeah. not saying you're wrong for doing it. I'm just saying I don't personally do it. And I don't recommend people just riding by, you know, throwing offers out the window. But some people do. Well, at the Jake and Gino conference, too, I remember that one broker talking about how he uh, he was always expecting that one seller who he would know to, would just come in 25% lower the moment that he he sent out his uh, his listing. So it's oh, yeah. like it's like they and that's not really building relationship with these with these realtors or brokers. It's right? not and, how you build a professional relationship. Yeah. We'll build a relationship, all right. I just don't know <laughs> if it's the one you want to build. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear you. I get your point. You know, that that's how I make offers. Um if I make an offer, it's one that I really wouldn't buy the property for. So I'm not making up fake offers, but a lot of times my offers are considerably less than what a seller uh, you know thinks their property's worth. Let me let me phrase it like that. I have to bring a lot of sellers reality sometimes. And a lot of times they don't care for that reality. So fine. Doesn't mean I'm going to bend my business model to chase a bad deal. I'm not, yeah. you know, I'm sticking to my offer. I'm sticking to my underwriting. That's that either I'll close the deal or I won't, but I'm not going to chase deals and, and do what I call pencil whipping, you know, make up a, a deal look good on paper. I'm not going to pencil whip a deal. So don't, right. don't do that. Yeah. Now, you know, starting out then and being newer to this space, I mean, we talked a lot about building connections and relationships with brokers and trying to find deals within that area. Would you, and with the how competitive it is right now for deal flow and trying to get deal flow coming in, would you also recommend trying to go the off-market route if you're just starting out? I would. Yeah. So what I always kind of tell people is as I split the realty space into two halves, 50 units and under, 50 units and above, 50 units and under, I think you're probably better off trying to go the direct to seller route. You know, some kind of direct contact campaign, whether it's calling, texting, you know, letters, whatever it is you're doing. Yes, I think 50 units and under, it's a good space. It's a it's a an underserved space. It, maybe we'll call it 10 units to 50 units. You know, it's too big for people that generally buy houses, but too small for people that buy larger apartment complexes. And it's a it's a, a sweet spot. Um, I think you're better off going to owner there, 50 units and up. The, the response rate from owners starts to decline rapidly and you start getting into, you know, LLCs and registered agents and gatekeepers and you know, this, that and the other. And so it's the response rate is a little less. So I would say 50 units and up, you're, you're much more in the realtor world there. And so when you start getting into that size asset, I'm going to say 97% of your deal flow will come from realtors. Uh, I always kind of make the joke like you don't see a 200 unit apartment complex market. for sale by owner, you know, <laughs> scribble on a piece of cardboard out by the, the road. You know, come on, that doesn't happen, right? Mm-hmm. Those properties are sold through through commercial realtors. And your job in that space is to go out and do these property tours, get to know the realtors, build a relationship, and have that realtor sign up a new listing and call you before it goes out to the public. That's what you're after is like you, you go through the process of touring properties. You're building all those great realtor relationships. You get on their short list of buyers. Most realtors have a close list of people they're working with, you know, and, and I always kind of tell everybody, look, good deals don't stay on the market long. Great deals don't come to the market at all. Right. You know, when a realtor signs up that new listing and it's a good deal, they will typically call their top 10, 15 people they're working with, you know, and uh, if it doesn't sell to one of them, 
then they probably go ahead and push the listing on out and, and take it out to where the rest of the world sees it. So if you want to get ahead of the deal flow, it's really through those relationships. And that's done through these property tours. And that's done by staying within your marketing and having the ability to actually show up and tour stuff. You know, so when, and I'll, I'll go back to a comment about selecting a market. Keep in mind when you're choosing a market, your number one competition is the local. Right. So if, if I live in Atlanta and I do, if I'm in Atlanta and all of a sudden I wanted to buy in Dallas, Texas, I don't have a lot of relationships out there. The local buyer is my competition. They can just go over and meet the realtor on their lunch break. I've got to go get on an airplane to do it. So I'm at a much less advantage. And that's why I kind of tell people using that circle technique works really well because you can start moving outward and build those relationships. And, and if you're not in a great market, then your circle might wind up being big, but it's still the same concept. Still the same concept. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's all about those relationships when you get to the bigger properties. Go directly to owners on smaller ones. Build out your, your professional <laughs> realtor relationship <laughs> on the larger ones. Yeah. Realistically, how long would you say it takes in order for you to get on the short list? Because I know it seems like everybody would just want to be on the short list. And oh, just of course. To, you, know. Um, you know, that's that's a great question. No one's ever actually asked me that. I don't know. I guess it depends on a lot of things on you and your ability, your personality. Do they know, like, and trust you? That whole routine. But yeah, I would say it's probably how credible they think you are. In in something on credibility is everyone thinks it has to do with you have a big giant portfolio, you've been in the business for years and years and all this kind of stuff. And that's not necessarily true. Your first credibility piece with a realtor is the second you open your mouth. Do you know what you're talking about? Do you sound good? Do you, do you Can you talk about the deal analysis? Can you talk about the business? Or do you just sound like you're kicking tires? Because if you don't know what you're doing and you're brand new and you haven't read my books or you, know, you haven't gotten a real estate education yet, and you're out trying to meet realtors, then they're probably going to spot your lack of, of real estate understanding, and then you're going to lose credibility. So it's not about having a big credibility package and a big resume and the big website and all the fancy stuff. It's just knowing what you're talking about. Then worry about the resume and the you know real uh, website and all this other nonsense. It's like, just, just learn how to analyze a deal. Learn how to run those numbers, learn what you're doing, and then meet realtors and you, you'll be fine on the credibility aspect. It's not all about closing and whether you have millions of dollars and all this kind of stuff. That's just not true. Just being able to speak the lingo and also, I, you, you know, being trans, not too, too, I guess not too, too transparent, but. Not too transparent, but you know, right. enough. Yeah. It's okay to tell someone I'm new. It's okay to tell a realtor I'm new to this business. It's not okay to tell a realtor I'm new to this business and I have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> That's the mistake. See, there it's like one part's honesty, one part's ignorance. You just you can live in the honesty world. The ignorant part, that's that's your fault. The, you know, there's no excuse there. Solve the problem, read a book. Don't that's a waste of someone's time yeah. if you're not educated. Make sure you get educated. Awesome, awesome, educated. awesome. And you know, for this next episode, I'd love to dive into just like the analyzing part and and continuing this conversation, sure. really just get like actionable about like understanding. Uh, the different components of what makes a good deal versus a bad deal. And, you know, given my audience that, but for right now, yeah, I love this. Episode. This was, this was awesome. Hey, there's so much content and so many different golden nuggets. Cool, um, yeah. Bill, if, if people want to reach out to you and, and get a hold of your book, how can they do that? Yeah. Uh, creative cash and real estate raw. Both. Uh, if you're, you're watching our uh, real estate raw creative cash, both books are on Amazon 
in Kindle at the moment. Creative Cash is on Audible and Real Estate Raw will be on Audible soon. It just takes a while for them to upload that. But uh, yeah, on all three platforms. And if you want to get more information uh, about other stuff, realestateraw.com. Uh, that's the website. So just go to realestateraw.com. The books are on Amazon. I'm on realestateraw.com and you can find me on all the other social media platforms as well. Uh, we put out a lot of content uh, weekly. So give me a follow and, and you'll you'll get a bunch of info. Make sure, oh, that's awesome. Thank you so much. Get, make sure to get connected to Bill and uh, yeah, we'll see you next time. Appreciate it, Tim. Take care, man. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you got any value out of the show, I'd greatly appreciate if you leave a rating and review on iTunes to help others receive that same value. If you're looking to learn more on how to passively invest in apartment buildings or self-storage assets, click on my link in the show notes to learn more. Thanks, and I'll see you next time.